I want to read the passage of Scripture right now because I hope you'll let it really sink into your heart. We'll come back to it in the message in a few moments. It's an appropriate word from the 34th Psalm, selected verses. Listen to the word of the Lord. I will praise the Lord no matter what happens. Let all who are discouraged take heart. For I cried to him, and he answered me, and he freed me from all my fears. Others, too, were radiant at what he did for them. Theirs was no downcast look of rejection. This poor man cried to the Lord, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. Oh, put God to the test and see how kind he is. See for yourself the way his mercies shower down on all who trust in him. The Lord is close to those whose hearts are breaking. He rescues those who are humbly sorry for their sins. The good man does not escape all troubles. He has them too. But the Lord helps him in each and every one. Everyone who takes refuge in him will be freely pardoned. Isn't that a great word? Let's join our hands and our hearts together as we pray. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, dear Lord, remind us of your presence with us. Make us to be sensitive to what you are saying and doing in our lives and give us a sensitivity to the things of the Spirit. Give us an equal concern for one another. We pray, Father, for those who are hurting, for those who are searching, for those who are on the top of the world or those in the bottom of the valley. We thank you that there is no area off limits to your presence, no person off limits to your forgiveness. And we pray that every one of us, that I and every person here today will be keenly conscious of your presence and that we will worship you in spirit and in truth and that our lives subsequent to this time of worship will reflect the fact that we are your followers, not just by what we say, but primarily by what we do and the way we live and the attitudes that characterize our lives. Bless every person, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. It was in 1967, this same month, and I was preaching and speaking about missions for the state of Texas. The emphasis that year was on the Rio Grande Valley. We want to evangelize and provide mission ministries in South Texas and the Rio Grande. We were asking the Spirit of God to organize people, not only in giving, but in going to the valley uh, to minister. And then a surprise took place. A storm showed up in the Gulf and came ashore at Corpus Christi. It was named Beulah. And instead of our going to the valley, the valley came to us. God blew the Rio Grande Valley in on our front doorstep. And this church, as it has been a number of times, has been a refugee center, a, a, a place for people to come. We've done this three or four times now. When we had hurricanes on the valley or along the coast, we bring people here. Well, that's what we were doing in 1967. And in 1967, 
the valley smashed Beulah, Ames, at Corpus Christi. Came ashore, headlines at the top on the San Antonio Evening News on September the 20th, 1967, 10,000 may find storm refuge in San Antonio. And if you're interested in seeing it, right there on the front page is a big picture of the gymnasium of our church where we had the, the gymnasium completely filled with cots. Downstairs, when we had the skating rink down there, before we had the youth area and division down there as we do now, that place was filled with cots. 800 people came in here in the first wave and more after that, and they were here for 10 days. We had the most remarkable experience I've nearly ever had in my life. I could take the whole sermon to tell you about stories that happened during those eight or ten days. Some of us on the staff spent two and three nights sleeping down here on the floor of our offices. Gertrude Walker, then our hostess, took over the feeding of these people three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. The Red Cross provided the food. We provided all the people. In fact, the Red Cross said we received, a, incidentally, we received an award from the National Red Cross because they said, your people are handling it, your people are doing it, we'll just bring the food and bring the supplies and we'll leave it in your hands. We opened a, a hospital so we could take care of sick call. Doctors from our church would come in the morning and in the evening for sick call. You have seven or eight hundred people, you're feeding them three times a day and you're trying to provide anything that will help. We couldn't go anywhere. Water rising. Even after the storm had passed and the sun had come out, they couldn't go back home, down to Sinton or down into the valley or to Robstown, wherever they were from, because of the high water. So we had these 800 plus, nearly 1,000 people here for 10 days. We had services. We had devotional services up here every morning. We showed Billy Graham, everything Billy Graham had ever made, we showed. We, <laughs> we showed cartoons. We rented movies. We had everything. Boredom was the big problem. I called the uh, manager of the big theater here where uh, the Sound of Music was showing. And I said, we want to bring all these people to see the Sound of Music. He said, oh, I'll have to call. I said, we can't pay. We just want you to let them in. We need help. <laughs> he said, oh, I'll have to call the corporate offices. I'll have to call whoever, MGM, whoever. Have to get the lawyer. Oh, he said, oh, heck. Uh, he didn't use that. He, oh, heck. <laughs> bring them on. So we got some buses took them out to see the sound of the music. He did say, the operator, he's a union man, he has to be paid so much an hour, and if you'll have a check for him, that's the only cost. So we got a check made out to him. I went up to the projection booth uh, to give it to him. He took it, turned it over, endorsed it back to Trinity Baptist Church and gave it to him. They, we had to feed these people. And it was a big job. You can imagine feeding that many people three times a day. Many children, many babies, babies in our, in our nursery, children, small children everywhere. Uh, we had to get paper cups and paper plates. Do you know who came through and gave us the paper cups? Pearl Brewery. <laughs> well, you go in there, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. There was great big old pearl, <laughs> pearl beer cups sitting there on the table. And there was a picture of it in the newspaper and also on television. And some of my Baptist pastor brethren had some problems with that. I said, come on out here and get one. It might help your spirit anyway. <laughs> oh, it was a remarkable event. Over 40 people made professions of faith, accepted the Lord as Savior. We gave everybody an English uh, New Testament and a Hispanic New Testament 
And every person we wrote, the pastor in that city, and told them about these families that were coming back home. Uh, one man died one night in the gymnasium. Elderly man with a heart condition, the strain and the stress of it all, and the worry that they were all feeling about being run out of their homes and wondering what kind of condition their homes would be in. He died. The same night, down in our little makeshift hospital, a baby was born. And I had forgotten until I read the back page of the paper, teenagers work hard to care for evacuees. We had people come. Rosita came. Entertainers came from all over, entertained to help anything, help these people to get through that difficult time. And I had forgotten that the, the baby was born. It was a little girl, and they named her Beulah. Beulah land, sure enough. You know, there's a time when we're supposed to pray, and then there's a time when we're supposed to put out cots, get food, get diapers. By the way, I called my friend, the manager of Joski's. It was in, uh, in San Antonio, and he sent out a whole truckload, cartons of diapers. He said, as many more as you need, just call us, and we will supply them. Fantastic stories of people responding to crisis. I go to another newspaper. This is USA Today on Monday, August 31st. And of course, the front page is about the troops' aid and so forth pouring into South Florida. You open it to page 3, and it says, Rejoicing amid rubble, churches proclaim a message of hope. That's what we're endeavoring to do in a time of storm, whether it's in South Florida, whether it's in Louisiana, whether it's in Texas, or whether it's in your life or mine whether it's one of those private storms that comes unannounced on the landscape of your life and starts tearing up things, breaking hearts and lives and hopes and dreams. We as God's people are to be there, not only with a word, but with a deed, with money, with food, with clothing. This morning, I quickly glanced at the paper and the headline caught my eye, San Antonio Express News, red tape hindering aid to victims of hurricane. It talks about how difficult it is. They're all frustrated. No one down there has gotten a check yet from the government. They have gotten some from insurance companies, according to this article. They will get some from University Baptist Church in the name of Christians and Baptists who care. No red tape involved in this. No overhead expense involved in this. It's all going to meet human need. Now, the question I want to ask ourselves this morning on the basis of this storm and the storm-tossed world in which you and I live, both personally and corporately, we've got storms all over the world, political storms, military storms, people dying of hunger in Somalia, people fighting in Yugoslavia, People in turmoil here in America over economics, over jobs, over health care. Name the storm and then bring it down to whatever might be going on in, the, in your own heart and in your own life. Thunderstorms gathering in your spirit. What does Jesus say and do when the storms hit? Well, let's look. Matthew tells us, 14th chapter. Jesus had just fed 5,000 people. Oh, it was a happy time. It was a rejoicing time. 
Everybody was feeling good. But on the heels of this wonderful, fulfilling, literally and figuratively, this fulfilling experience, Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to get in the boat and go across the Sea of Galilee, and I'll meet you later. I'm going to talk with these people and send them on back home. Let me read it to you. 21st verse and follow. About 5,000 men were in the crowd that day besides all the women and children that had been fed. Immediately after this, Jesus told his disciples to get into their boat and cross to the other side of the other side of the lake while he stayed to get the people started home. Then afterwards, he went into the hills to pray. Night fell. And out on the lake, the disciples were in trouble. For the wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy sea. Please notice something. They got into this storm doing exactly what Jesus told them to do and going exactly where Jesus told them to go. The storm did not come into their life because of disobedience or lack of faith or some heinous sin of some kind. Friends, storms just come. Good times, bad times. Nobody's fault. Not something they had done. They were following the instructions of their Lord, and a storm hit. And he was praying for them. Now listen, when the storm hits in your life, he cares for you. You may not be able to see him, but he can see you. One of my favorite verses of Scripture in 1 Peter is casting all of your care upon him because he cares for you. But his caring doesn't stop just with praying and watching he doesn't stay up there on the mountaintop, detached from it all, as a kind of absentee landlord, watching us struggle here in the seas of adversity. He is not like Aristotle said, God is the great unmoved mover. He is not like the gods in Tennyson's Lotus Eaters. They sit above it all, unmoved, sipping nectar from their golden goblets. Oh. Not Jesus. He not only cares, he comes. He shows up on the scene of the storm. He walks right into the teeth of the wind. He's not detached. He is attached. He is not residing up there in seclusion. He is down there in collusion with his people in the midst of their trouble. About four o'clock in the morning, Luke, uh, Mark, who records this same event in the sixth chapter of Mark, says that uh, it was about three o'clock in the morning. Well, they didn't have watches. They didn't have clocks. They just had to guess. They just knew it was the darkest hour of the night. It was about three or four o'clock in the morning. And some of us know about three or four o'clock in the morning. 
when the storm sneaks up on us somehow and we begin to worry about things and the past we try to fix and the future we try to predict and we write letters and do all sorts of things in our mind. About 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning when the storm hit, that's often when they hit, about 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning, he came to them. He'll come to you just as surely as he came to them. He'll meet you at 3 a.m. in the middle of the storm on a dark, dark night. And they screamed. They were frightened. They thought, who is this? They thought it was a ghost. And Jesus said, cheer up. That's the best translation of it. Cheer up. It is I. And Mark tells us he got into the boat with them. Isn't that terrific? Cheer up. I want to give you reassurance. He not only cares, he not only comes, he also comes. And the wind died. Whether the wind actually died or not, the storm inside of the, the storm of fear inside those disciples died. And he got in the boat with them. He's in your boat. On a dark night, in the midst of a terrible storm, he said, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I care for you. And I come to you. And I comfort you and encourage you and calm you. David, I read you this passage earlier, and that's why I wanted to set the stage for it. I want you to hear those portions of it again. David, David knew the same thing. He experienced the same thing. Listen to him. I will praise the Lord no matter what happens. Let all who are discouraged take heart. Cheer up. Cheer up. For I cried to him, David says. I cried to him. I, Buckner Fanning, cried to him. You fill in the blank with your own name. I cried to him. And he heard me. And he answered me. And he freed me from all my fears. Others, too, were radiant at what he did for them. Theirs was no downcast look of rejection, sad and solemn, gray-spirited. No down-hearted, downcast look of rejection. This poor man cried to the Lord, and the Lord heard him and saved him. Out of his troubles. Please note what it says. The Lord never promised to save us from our troubles. In fact, he promised we'd have troubles. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He never promised to save us from trouble. He never promised to save us from temptation. We're all tempted. He said we would be tempted. We would be tested. But he also said, 
that we would not be tempted and tested above our ability to say no and that he would be with us in the midst of that temptation and give us his strength so that we can come through the storm of temptation victoriously. He never promised to save us from trouble or from temptation, but he promised to save us out of trouble and out of temptation by giving us his presence, his strength. Oh, put God to the test. Look, be pragmatic about it. Accumulate some evidence. Just try him. That's what he's saying. Just give me the opportunity to prove myself to you. Test me. And see if I don't keep my word to you. Just try it. You've been fighting the storm. You've been rowing, rowing as hard as you can. You've been bailing water. And you're still in the midst of the storm. Let me in the boat with you. Let me help you. Call on me, and I will answer you. Put God to the test and see how good he is and how kind he is. See for yourself the way his mercy shower down on all who trust in him. The Lord is close to those whose hearts are breaking. He rescues those who are humbly sorry for their sins. The good man does not escape all troubles. He has them too. But the Lord helps him in each and every one of your troubles. Everyone who takes refuge in him will be freely pardoned. Did you hear that word? Freely pardoned. You say, uh, Buckner, that was David. He's a good preacher. But does he really know what he's talking about? I want you to listen to the Son of David, Jesus Christ, and what he says to people at that moment. People who are away from God, or people who have done things in their lives that they feel like has created the storm in their life. For you can do certain things that create horrendous consequences of storm-like events in your life. No question about it. All trouble is not the result of sin. Some trouble is, and we all know that. We all know the times when there is a correlation between what we do and what the reaction is or the response is or the result is. But they're not synonymous. And there's some people who make a mistake at that. They still do. They say if you have any kind of trouble, any kind of pain, any kind of problem, it's because of sin in your life. The whole Bible refutes that. Jesus specifically refuted it when asked by his disciples, when looking at a blind man, and they said, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus said, Neither one. Why don't we hear him say that? Neither one. Neither one. There are times when the behavior I, uh, my behavior creates certain consequences in my life. And you know that in yours. What happens when storms come as a result of things we do? Listen to an event from the Bible, from the lips of Jesus and the life of our Lord himself. Ninth chapter of Matthew. Some men brought Jesus, a paralyzed boy, on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick boy, Cheer up, son. Cheer up, son. 
For I have forgiven your sins. Apparently, this boy's problem was a direct result of known, practiced sin in his life. And Jesus said, I forgive you. I pardon you. Now, get up. And the boy jumped up and left. So, let let me give you a good word. It doesn't make any difference what you've done in the sense of your relationship to God. It will have consequences possibly in the lives of others. But listen, God will forgive us of all of our sins. Not just the known and the unknown. He will forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all of our transgressions. Cheer up. Cheer up. Your sins are forgiven. You can get up and walk. You can get up and live. You can get up and go. You can cheer up and get up and go because of this incomparable forgiveness that Jesus gives. Irrespective of the cause of the trouble in your life, He will be with you. If it's forgiveness you need, He'll give you forgiveness. If it's strength you need, He'll give you strength. If it's joy and cheer you need, He'll give you that. If it's courage, He'll give you that. He will bring you through the storm. He will save us out of all of our troubles. And so as your pastor and your friend, I want to say a word to you now. I'm prompted to do this because of the 27th chapter of the book of Acts. When Paul was being taken to Rome as a prisoner on board a ship, and they got in a terrible storm, and they all thought they were going to die. And they started throwing things overboard. They started getting rid of excess baggage. They were running before the wind. They were trying to do everything to survive, but they felt like they were doomed. And Paul said to them, Cheer up. Cheer up. Not one of us will lose our lives, even though the ship goes down. And as your pastor, I want to lift the words of the Apostle Paul and provide them to you and to myself. Cheer up, my friend. We're going to make it. We're going to be saved. We may lose some possessions. We may have to throw overboard some stuff that we've accumulated. The ship may go down. But we won't. Cheer up. You're going to land safely on God's shore. And he repeated it again about three sentences later. Cheer up. Listen. Cheer up, he said, for I believe God. So do I. Cheer up. If you've never trusted him, trust him. He'll be with you in the boat of your life. He'll save you out of trouble and despair and darkness and fear. Give your heart to him in faith. 